Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk with worship leader and author Bob Coughlin on worship, what that means, and how we can both individually and corporately cultivate a worshipful heart. There is a natural connection between words, which is truth-specific, and music, which is kind of emotion-specific. It combines the two. When we sing, it combines the most specific form of communicating truth, which is words, with the least specific form of communicating truth, which is music. Put it together, and so what it helps us do is feel the truth. Welcome again to In Doubt, the show that exists to bring the gospel to the relevant issues of life and faith that we all face every day, hoping to inspire conversation, but intentional conversation. You know, we strive to live out this mission through creating this show that you're listening to right now. Every Monday, a new conversation comes out with a different guest talking about a different topic. So if you head to our archives on our site, you'll see conversations on mental health, sexuality, marijuana, church history, dating, alcohol, transgenderism, music, the gospel, and so on. This is our 142nd episode, so there's a lot more online. I encourage you to go check it out. And if also you head to our site, you're going to find articles. You're going to find a free video Bible study on Jude for individual or group use and a bunch of resources on the Christian perspective on recreational marijuana and more. So you can check it out at indoubt.ca. This week, we're talking about worship and worship is really relevant for everyone because we all do it. Worship, that is. Uh, The word worship usually, I mean, it brings up kind of ideas of religion and gods and so on, but if we're honest with ourselves, we worship every day. And not just gods, but people, objects, ourselves, other things. In fact, I don't know if you've heard of the group Beautiful Eulogy. They're this Christian rap group from Portland, Oregon. But anyways, in their song called Messiah, uh, they have this line that says, I'm not going to rap it, by the way. I'm just going to say it. I suppose what exposes the worship in most of us is a close look at most of our thoughts, fears, and emotions. So that line reveals more than just people and objects, but even what we fear and think about. Those things, right, can reveal what we worship. This week on the show, we talk with Bob Coughlin, someone who's been thinking about and participating in Christian worship for many years. Now, whether or not you're a Christian, you may be skeptical right now in life, I get that, but whether or not you follow Jesus, Bob gives a great definition of worship that might surprise you, but it's important that we know it, and also talks about how to cultivate a worshipful heart. So here's a conversation with Bob. With me today is worship leader and author Bob Coughlin. Bob is the director of Sovereign Grace Music. He also equips pastors and musicians in the theology and practice of congregational worship. And he's done this through writing, conferences, many more avenues as well. Um, Anyways, it's great to have you with us today, Bob. It's a great joy to be here, Isaac. So so we do have a little of a connection. We haven't really talked about this yet, but be, even though we've never met, uh, my brother-in-law is Joel Sabell, who oh. I know was serving with you um, and yes. even lived at your house. Yes, they did. That one of, their, one of their children was born while they were living with us. Yeah, my niece. So there's a little bit of a connection there. So already I feel like there's a little bit of a bond. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's so great. Uh, yeah, well, firstly, why don't you share uh, just a little bit about yourself? Maybe how'd you come to the faith? Well, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I was going to become a priest. That was my plan as a 14-year-old. I went to a junior seminary, and then it shut down after after the first half the year I attended. I hope there wasn't a connection there. But after that, I went back to public high school. And then when I was a freshman in college, so I was about uh, 17, 
a guy from a ministry called Campus Crusade, now called Crew, uh, shared the gospel with me. He pursued me. Uh, I met with him in the student union building. And it was there that I learned from Romans that when Jesus died on the cross for me, he, he got it all done. He uh, paid for every one of my sins, and I didn't need confession or some other act or some other work to secure forgiveness for my sins. So that was a, it was a life-transforming thought. I mean, it, it certainly grew. I mean, I've been a Christian now for 47, 46 years, and I've continued to grow in my amazement at that reality. Uh, but it was that year, as 1972, when I first God first opened my eyes to see uh, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's so good. And the last 46 years, what has that looked like for you in a kind of a brief snapshots? Oh, man. Oh, well, I finished college. I got a, I went to Temple University in Philadelphia, got a piano performance degree. Then I was in a Christian band called GLAD for eight years, uh, we, and they kept going. I left in 84, and then I became a pastor in 1985 with Sovereign Grace Churches. In 97, I became, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Well, uh, I do. I started doing what I'm doing now, which is uh, director of Sovereign Music. And so for the last 21 years, I've been a pastor in a local church, but also been overseeing Sovereign Grace Music. That's awesome. And I kind of want to ask really briefly about Sovereign Grace Music. Not a lot of denominations, which I, I think Sovereign Grace would be called a denomination, but not a lot of denominations have a whole like huge music sort of section. So Sovereign Grace Music, as I know, it is quite this you know, large resource kind of organization. Just let us know a little bit more about Sovereign Grace Music. Yeah. Don't let looks deceive you. <laughs> um, we are not a huge organization. Sovereign Grace Music began simply out of songs that uh, we were writing to serve our churches. We're a family of about 80-some churches now, and Mark Altrogi, Stephen Vicky Cook, and myself were, were the primary writers back in the 80s, and we just started writing songs for our people to sing, and uh, over the years, I think we've done some 60 projects, actually. Uh, no, I mean, those, those go back to cassette tapes in the 80s and 90s, so uh, we're, we currently release about one major album a year. Uh, and then we have been doing kids' albums as well. We have five kids' albums that we've done. We're about to release our fourth Together for the Gospel live album, which is just me on a piano leading you know, thousands, mostly men, at a pastor's conference that's held in Louisville, uh, here in Louisville, Kentucky, every other year. Mm, that's awesome. That's so good. Bob, as we sort of shift now into the conversation that we're going to have, it, generally it's about cultivating this heart of worship. But before we can get there, I kind of just want to ask you, what does it mean to to worship? And why do we often, uh, I think sometimes subconsciously, we sort of put a criteria, like we we say that someone's worshiping when they're doing this certain criteria of external actions, like shutting their eyes, mm -hmm. swaying, crying, things mm -hmm. like that. But we know instinctively that worship is bigger than that because people say that. But yeah, just flesh that out. What does it mean to worship? Well, when I began in this position 21 years ago, one of the first things I did was start reading books about worship, which I hadn't done a lot of up until that time. I read Engaging with God by David Peterson, which I would highly commend to anyone who's involved with leading the music uh, in their church and for any pastor. Um, a book called Adoration in Action. Anyway, I began to understand that, wow, worship isn't just the music. Uh, worship isn't just a feeling. In fact, he begins with a quote that kind of debunks that. 
and it was like this shock for me. What? This is this is what I thought worship is. And you know, scripturally, there there are a number of words that we translate as worship in both the Old and the New Testaments. The, the basic gist of them is, you know, it involves our attitudes and actions. It's response to God in ways that show reverence and awe, and it's the actions of servanthood. So none of it's connected to music, really, which is so interesting uh, that we have kind of landed there as a culture. And I think worldwide, we we often describe worship as the singing. You know, when Jesus, in a well-known story situation, was talking to the Samaritan woman in John 4, he talks about worship in spirit and truth. And we'll often use that phrase to describe what happens when we gather. Jesus wasn't really talking about music. There's no mention of music. He wasn't even talking really about gathering. <laughs> he was talking about approaching God through him by the power of the Spirit. You know, it's a little the lesson on the Trinity. And so, you know, biblically speaking, yeah, Christian worship is the response of God's redeemed people to his self-revelation that that exalts God's glory in Christ in our, you know, in our minds and our affections and our wills. And all that's in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's It takes God to worship God. We couldn't worship God apart from his enabling us to. But if we're going to worship him, we've got to worship him for who he really is, you know, as, who he's revealed himself to be. And then we've got to worship in, him in ways that honor him. Well, that goes far beyond singing. It, it incorporates everything we do, really, and our thoughts and our words and our actions. Right. No, that that's really helpful. You know, you sort of alluded to it, but I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on why we often, you know, put worship to music. Uh, and you say the last, you know, how like a century or so we've really done that. Why do you think that is? Well, there's certainly a biblical precedent for using music to praise God. Uh, you know, the Psalms we have as an example, there's no soundtrack to the Psalms, but there are a number of musical references where we see in Colossians 3, 16, Ephesians 5, 18, that Christians sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, Paul and Barnabas were singing at midnight in prison. They were singing hymns. It's like, whoa, what, what is that? Uh, what's, what's going on there? The Revelation is filled with hymns of praise to God. Uh, there is a, a natural connection between truth, words, which is truth-specific, and music, which is kind of emotion-specific. You, you know, it combines the two. When we sing, it combines the most specific form of communicating truth, which is words, with, with the least specific form of communicating truth, which is music, put, put it together. And so what it helps us do is feel the truth. That's good. And this is kind of an interesting question I'm just kind of throwing in here now. How do you know if you're, you know, in your local church with the community of believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're singing these songs, how do you know if you are genuinely worshiping God through those songs? I think it begins with our minds. You know, are we thinking, uh, are we thinking about things that enable us to exalt God's glory in Christ? You know, if I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch, if I'm thinking about, you know, how hot it is in here, if I'm thinking about, well, does that person like me, if I'm thinking about the bills I have, to, you know, I'm worshiping, I'm just not worshiping God. I'm, I'm, I'm valuing something at that moment, it's just not God. So, you know, I may not feel a ton, and this is where we often get off. We think of worship as a feeling. Worship isn't a feeling, it's an action. 
It's a response, uh, which often leads to feeling, uh, because the truth is that when we think about how God has, you know, in Jesus Christ, humbled himself and, and died in our place so that our sins could be paid for, and Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's ascended to his Father's right hand where he intercedes for us, and all this is so that we might be forgiven and adopted in God's family and experience eternal joy at his right hand. That's going to produce, you know, emotion and feeling, but it's, I may sing all those things and think about them, and yet not really be moved, uh, but know that I've worshiped God because I've given him the honor and the glory that's due his name. Wow, that that's good. And I, I do want to come back to that one more time, but a question I do want to ask you is this. If worship is what you're saying it is, is this response to who God is, then then how do we cultivate a worshipful heart and mind? I know you've sort of touched on that already, but I'm thinking of this in kind of two ways. One, how how do we do this alone? So you as just Bob at home, waking up in the morning, just yeah. you, me as Isaac and so many others. But then also, how do we do this together in the community of the church? Well, it's, that's a great question, because if, it, if we can't do it practically, <laughs> all the conversation really doesn't matter. But personally, individually, I, I get up each morning and my thoughts are going in a you know, hundred different directions. This morning I woke up, I was thinking about a conference I'm leading next week in Frisco, Texas, and things that I need to do. And so one of the things I start doing is just quoting scripture to myself. I've sought to memorize scripture. I keep, I keep on memorizing scripture. And I will just review uh, scriptures and just think about them, meditate on them, chew on them, not just get through them, but just think about, okay, this is the God that I love. This is the God who made me. And so that kind of begins to prime my heart to receive, because worship begins with receiving. We, we can't come to God on our own without him giving us something to come to him with. So I think about and this often helps me. Just I think about how much I need God and how much he desires to help me. You know, those who my heart trusts in him and, and I am helped, Psalm 28 says. And when I, when I think about the Lord, uh, it helps me. So I turn my thoughts to the Lord. I, I read scripture. I read his word. I, I seek to encounter him. I read books about the Bible, um, you know, that stir my soul. Um, and then occasionally I'll sing, but not, not too often because I'm in a home with a lot of other different people there. Uh, so I can't really do that. So it's it's focusing on who God has revealed himself to be in Christ and what a difference that, and then asking myself, what, what difference does that make in my life? Bringing my needs, my requests, and my concerns all to the Lord and, you know, trusting him to, to do what only he can do with them. And then corporately, it's the same thing, congregationally. You know, we are we are seeking to sing songs, pray prayers, to hear messages that reflect who God has revealed himself to be. And I think oftentimes we aren't confident that, you know, the word of God and the gospel in and of themselves are are powerful enough to change people's lives. And so we we look to technology and lights and, and scripting and, you know, good communication techniques to kind of to impress people. And those things should all be used just to, to draw attention to who God is, what he's done for us in Christ, and what a difference that makes in our lives. Bob, what can a Christian do if they just sense that their local church gathering or their, their you know, community group Bible study at home, when they do 
I don't know, do things that are quote unquote worshipful, if they don't really find that it is that worshipful, what can just one person sort of do to sort of help initiate or pioneer this more worshipful kind of mm. attitude in place in their church? Maybe they feel like the the music is kind of cold and no one's really lively or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing, because as a general question, the first thing I do is just examine my own heart. It's it's a truism that a worshiper worships God, you know, a Christian worshiper worships God. Like whatever situation I find myself in, music might be bad, the leadership might be bad, the setting might be bad. I, I'm I'm not going to miss this opportunity to to magnify the Lord, you know, in my heart and to magnify Him in my in my body and in my singing. So I don't want to be just sitting there as standing there as the critic, you know, the one who knows all, the Simon Cow of worship, uh, the one who's uh, you know just and that's no offense against time to come. He can be very insightful. Um, but, you know, the one who just kind of critiques everything. So that's the first thing I do. I just ask God to make, to humble me and make sure that I'm really seeking to to honor him. And then if, if you feel there's still things that might change, I, I talk to the leaders, you know, I talk to a leader and I begin with questions. Say, well, how do you think about like Sunday mornings? What am I supposed to be feeling? Or what am I supposed to be thinking? Or, you know, how do you pick the songs or, you know, how do we think about the Word of God in in our meeting, and what place does that play? And and then, you know, after having that conversation, you might say, "That's really good." I, I just want you to know that there are times when I really struggle with that. You know, what do you think I'm missing? Go at it humbly, and that will enable the you know the person you're speaking to either help you or to you know acknowledge, well, you know what, that's just not your problem. That we we could really change there. So I think having a conversation about it. Yeah, that's so good, Bob. Um, you said earlier on that to worship is, or can be, I should say, void of feeling. Like you, this is a res- proper yeah. and honoring yeah. response. And I just think that some people say that, you know, they are, you know, singing songs on, on Sunday morning. Uh, they feel like they're actually being kind of hypocritical or inauthentic when they're singing those songs, possibly just kind of get into the rhythm with their body as well. And yeah. they're just not, they're not feeling the affections of God in their heart. And I know you've already said this, but I just kind of want you to reiterate and kind of emphasize yeah. that fact that it doesn't have to include feeling, though it leads to feeling eventually. Yeah, yeah I think the, the thing there, Isaac, to, to remember is that everyone's going to go through that time. I mean, I go through it every Sunday. When you don't necessarily feel anything. The question is, what do you do with that? Where do you turn your focus? Where do you turn your eyes? So even when I'm leading, you know, I might think, oh, I'm more conscious right now of, you know, what tempo the drummer's playing or, you know, those, those people out there who aren't singing. At that moment, I want to give all my effort to thinking about the truths I'm singing. Now, that's assuming that I'm singing words that are worth meditating on, because that's not always the case. But assuming that you're singing good songs, Thinking about them, you know, applying my heart to them, just seeking to, you know, immerse myself in the truth that's coming out of my mouth and let that affect me. You know, it may be a, a song or two before I begin to realize what, what's really happening. But oftentimes it's just a line, you know, we're singing and it's just a line we realize, oh, wow, that is me. That is really me. And that's the Holy Spirit working. But unless we're actually singing and participating, it's it's rare that that happens. Yeah, no, that's that's really good, and that's very helpful. Thank you, thank you, Bob, for that. I, I have a couple questions that are sort of outside that realm of, of of worship, and we just 
if you're listening, that's that's scratching the surface on on the topic of of worship, and we just that's awesome, Bob, that you've helped us through that. But a couple of questions, just because you are someone that's thought a lot about worshiping God through music, you've written on this again. Like I said, you've done conferences and a lot of speaking on this, and I think this is a question that's becoming more and more prevalent as more and more worship songs are kind of going off on the internet and just you know everyone's singing them. Here, here's a question I think many Christians struggle with: if you don't agree with the theology uh, of a corporate worship song, or even it's just a line or two from the song, I think some people can struggle with, should I be singing this publicly amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ? Why Why or why not? Yeah, there's a wide range of songs that would fall into that category. You know, some are just an unclear line. And in that case, it'd be no problem. You know, you just, you import your own meaning into it. And it may be a, a, a line that's repeated a lot, and in that case, I'll often just fill in between the lines with, you know, maybe some more substantive thoughts. I'll either say them or I'll sing them. If it's a line that, you know, I give you an example, a very popular song. You know, you didn't want heaven without us. It's the first line of verse two of What a Beautiful Name, which is an amazing song, I think, apart from that line. I can understand how that line might be understood. You created heaven or, you know, heaven existed and, and you created everything so that we would be a part of it. But but it can sound like, unfortunately, you know, God didn't want heaven apart from us. Almost like it wasn't complete. It wasn't sufficient. And I, yeah, that's not true. And I think the writers know that too. It's just an unclear line. So if I was staying in the congregation, I wouldn't sing that line. But I, I don't know if if people are uh, actually watching us that closely <laughs> to see, uh, you know, someone might come up to, an act to us afterwards and say, what did you think about that line? And that might give us an opportunity to, you know, further explain. But I mean, I, I appreciate writers like at Hillsong. They're trying to be faithful. They're trying to be creative at the same time. And sometimes that creativity gets us into trouble. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and, and one more, that's very helpful, Bob. One more kind of question, sort of along those lines. Paul says in, in Philippians that there are some of these preachers that are preaching for the wrong intentions, you know, for, mm-hmm. for money. Yeah, but he's yeah. like, I rejoice in it because people are still hearing the gospel. Yeah, with, yeah. with that in mind, Bob, I, I guess some people also are, struggle with, should I be singing a song that's really solid and it's awesome, though perhaps their author or the the church behind that, maybe there are some questionable things with that. Yeah. Do you sort of take that in the same realm as Paul and like he re- you rejoice in it because it's good or do you think there's some other things there as well? Well, absolutely. But I think the category that uh, determines whether or not you should do it is edification. If it's a distraction to a number of people, then I wouldn't lead it. If it's not a distraction, then I would. You know, and it's also a factor too, Isaac, of what kind of teaching you're getting at your church. So, you know, if your church preaches the Word of God faithfully, and you know, it's clear that that a scripture has authority over everything you do. You know, if you do a song from a group where you might not agree with a lot of their practices or their theology, they'll know that you picked that song because of the words and not because you approve of that ministry. So I think it's helpful to, to realize that, you know, if you only do one or two songs from a group, that's a statement. They might be putting out, you know, hundreds of songs, but you're only doing one or two. That, that's saying to people, look, we're choosing this song because it speaks truth and it, it's going to minister to us. But having said that, 
if a song, you know, is going to cause a lot of people in the church to stumble and be distracted, well, then it's not worth doing. Yeah, that's good. And the, the main point there, like you said at the very beginning, is edification. What is going to edify, lift up the, the community of believers, not distract them? That's right. Thank you so much, Bob. We're at the end of our time now. I really do appreciate your time with us today, your wisdom, obviously, in this area as well. For those listening who are interested in hearing more from Bob and also from Sovereign Grace Music, uh, I have two sites for you to check out. One is worshipmatters.com, which you'll find this blog roll from Bob and, and other resources as well. And the other site is sovereigngracemusic.org, which is just this massive, awesome, great resource site. Um, <laughs> it, honestly, like my wife and I were just using it the other uh, last week to prepare for some worship at church. So anyways, this is great if you're interested in congregational worship songs and some of the stuff that, like, some of the resources are just incredible on there. So I thank you, Bob, and the crew for doing that. But yeah, thanks again, Bob, and I hope to have you back on again. Oh, Isaac, thanks so much. It's been an honor. That was worship leader and author Bob Coughlin. You know, Bob talked about the fact that to worship God doesn't have to include feelings, at least in part. He said that feelings certainly come, but they're not immediately necessary when we worship. You know, we can worship God with our minds and with our bodies. We can honor and obey him without necessarily feeling like it. In fact, a good chunk of the Christian life is worshiping God without feeling like it. Now, sometimes if we don't feel like worshiping God, then we won't worship God, you know? And I think that's a mistake. And close to worshiping God is actually pursuing God, this act of moving closer to him. And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't constantly or consistently pursue God. Let's, let's think about this for a moment. We can define pursuing God as consciously thinking, speaking, and acting in such a way that demonstrates our love for God. So the only time when we'll be able to pursue God this way consistently will be in heaven, obviously. Well, on earth, you know, we're constantly faced with the sin in our lives. Sin causes every thought, word, and deed to be less than pure in the eyes of God. Now, this doesn't mean we quit striving for more of God. It just means we have a humility when bringing our best to God, knowing that even our best is stained a little bit by sin. But even our stained best is what God desires from us. Now, certainly Jesus wouldn't have said, you shall love the Lord your God with everything if he didn't actually mean it, right? So what about when we're not naturally inclined to love the Lord our God with everything that we are? What about when we don't want to pursue him, when we don't want to worship him? What do we do? The first thing we should note is that pursuing God or loving God with everything isn't dependent on how we may feel toward him at any given moment. We could say the same thing about worshiping him. Put simply, God doesn't desire our pursuit of him only when we feel like pursuing him. He desires and he actually commands our pursuit of him and worship of him even when we don't feel like it. This would mean that our pursuit of God is more than just heart affections, right? When we don't want to pursue God, we're subconsciously looking at our heart's affections and determining that there's nothing there for God. And the reality is that that's going to happen a lot in life, but we're to never justify not pursuing God because it's not from the heart. That's just a weak excuse. Rather, we are to focus on the mind. We should be thinking about the gospel. Walk through it, even though it may be hard if your heart's not in it. Just walk yourself through the gospel. Talk to another Christian. Talk to a brother or sister in Christ who is feeling affections for Christ and, you know, have them encourage you. And also just read and listen to the Bible. That's also what Bob said. Anyways, if In Doubt is a ministry that you enjoy, that you gain from, or perhaps you believe in our mission to bring the gospel to relevant issues of life and faith, then perhaps you'd prayerfully consider making a donation. Everything we do at Endowed is given out for free, yet it costs us money to create it all. 
If you'd like to support us in this way, it's really easy to do so. Just click the donate button and follow the simple instructions at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Connect with us online this week. We'd love to hear from you. You can find Indoubt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week I sit down with Jake and Brittany to talk about Christian legalism and antinomianism. Maybe it sounds kind of relevant to you, but I think you're going to change your mind after listening in. See you next week. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.